Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Baghdad Sound Walks. Hello, fellow travelers. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali, ready to continue our tour of medieval Baghdad. I'm always ready, Ali. Little by little, we are seeing this city come to life. We've been to its walls, its market, its bathhouses, the inns, and the great mosque. And it's finally time to head to the palace. As you can hear in my voice, I'm very, very excited about this. A theme we keep seeing throughout the different locations is how much politics was woven into each part of the city, from handling trade to the sermon said on behalf of the Khalif. And now it's time to get right to the centre of it all. The Palace of the Golden Gate was in the centre of Baghdad, near the mosque. That's right, a stunning structure really meant to impress. Imagine with me, you're a new visitor to the city, or you're a traveler coming in from one of the Funduk. You've traveled for miles, perhaps stomping at the various caravanserai along the way, slowly making your way into the round city. There's a bustle as the crowds of visitors like you wind their way from the many roads to the gates of Baghdad. As you pass the entry, you see it right in your line of sight, the palace in the center of the city, rising above all the other buildings with its gleaming green dome that stands out against the backdrop. Atop that dome is a figure of a horseman with a lance. The traveler next to you whispers into your ear, legend has it, the figure is enchanted. When enemy armies march on Baghdad, the caliph turns the figure to face the oncoming horde. It's eye-catching, inspiring, and it lets you know who's in charge. The Caliph. It makes it very, very clear. The idea of a round city is making more and more sense. In a way, all the roads lead to the Caliph. You can see the city from afar, and you know the most important person is right in the middle. It would also make the palace the centre of city life. It's basically giving main character energy. I love that. That's really important to note. The palace is not just this private residence of the Khalif. Right, because that's technically the harem where the household, including the wives and all the children, live. The harem is the private quarters of the Khalif. And the palace was the official seat of power. And as we've talked about this before, the palace was built alongside the Great Mosque, so it was technically accessible to the public. You know, the palace and the mosque were probably the first two structures built by al-Mansur, allowing him to move in quickly. Set right in the center of the round city. Like Ba Sing say. Gosh, you really love your avatar, The Last Airbender, right? It's a good analogy. (laughs) I can definitely see the symbolism, though. Building a circular city and putting your palace right in the middle lets the world know who is in charge. Definitely, Dina. It puts you in the center of the world symbolically. But it was also about drawing the people right into that center. This is why the mosque was adjacent to it. 
Putting the palace and the mosque together, or at least next to each other, sends a clear message. It's the centre of religious life and political life. It was probably a powerful sight seeing the Khalif walk next door to join in the prayers as well. Yeah, the palace was the Khalifal residence, but it was also the public administration. It had this sort of wide open courtyard or a maidan with surrounding gardens, a structure to house, the hujariya or the horse guard. That is the private guard of the Khalif, these people who would protect him. And then there were smaller residences for administrators like the captain of the shurta or the city guard, bureaucrats, and even palaces for the princes all next door to that mosque. Do you know what really stands out to me, Ali? The city design tries to balance prestige and access. So the closer you get to the centre, the closer you are to the centre of power. I can just never imagine popping to the centre of London and casually running into the king. Yeah, the structure of this city, this round city, it tries to balance it all. It tries to create prestige for the Khalif while technically also being accessible because the mosque is also in that center. So it would draw everyone to stand before God in prayer equally. But it's a non-subtle way of reinforcing who's in charge because the Khalif is right next door. Exactly. The people with all the real power. Think about it. The Khalif only has to walk next door to the mosque, but anyone else would have to walk much further if they wanted to visit it. The design of the city really highlights access, who has it and who has to work for it. Over time, though, we should point out that Khalifs really built other palaces. So there was this central palace that was a symbol of their power, but they weren't always at home in that central palace. Were these palaces within Baghdad itself or elsewhere? Because I'd imagine there is a difference between having other palaces within the city walls versus having to travel outside the city. This actually reminds me of why the rivers were probably so important, easy access up and down the Tigris. That's a really good point. You could take a leisurely barge up to your palace. And some of these Khalifs did have winter palaces and other locales they'd like to visit, like Anbar. But they also built palaces inside Baghdad, like Khasr al-Khuld, or the Palace of Eternity, which was built right on the river. That is prime-time waterfront property. It reminds me a little bit of the Thames in London and how it was used to travel the length of England and how kings sailed on barges. Royals do seem to love taking trips on barges for some reason. I love being on the water, so I get it. If you were a Khalif, you could enjoy a leisurely trip on the river while hanging out in your waterfront palace. Doesn't get better than that. Why don't we go inside the palace? Maybe we can paint a bit of a picture and see how the other half lived. What can we see? Well, the first thing you would see are the guards. The Khalif, despite claiming this title like the shadow of God on earth, had to manage a lot of different power blocks. He had to navigate big, powerful alliances. Yeah, and the guards were one of those. This is an empire after all. So you had scholars and administrators and advisors, but you also had to deal with the people who kept security in the city itself. Exactly. The Abbasids overthrew the Umayyads in 750 CE and they established their own dynasty, but they were only able to do that with the help of other factions. In fact, they initially didn't even have a centralized army, but relied on different units. And each of these had their own political interests as well. 
Very much so. You had three big units, the Anba, which were the old guard. These were the Arabian Muslims that had come out of Arabia and settled in the region. There's the Maghraba, who are mostly East and North African soldiers, and the Khorasaniya, which were local Persians, each with their own political intentions and their political goals. I remember a story that you mentioned before about how the troops once revolted and it took the queen intervening to settle them down. I believe it was Queen Kezuran. She intervened to ensure her chosen successor. And that's because they were paid troops. And so they did rebel from time to time. Each faction had its own politics and interests that the Khalif would have to navigate. The Anba, for example, as I mentioned, were the oldest and most powerful faction. They were made up of the Arabs who had settled into this region. And they intermarried with local elites. So the Khalif would have to make sure that he kept them on his side. These are houses that are run by hereditary lords or ladies. They hold titles and land and have a great deal of power and influence within the family. Think Bridgerton, but less entertaining. All right, confession. I've never actually seen that show. Oh my God, Ali. (laughs) But you've watched Avatar and the Airbender like 70 billion times. That should tell you all about my personality. (laughs) Look, lineage here really matters. And there were certainly noble families, but it really wasn't exactly an aristocracy like we would imagine in, say, Europe. Instead, what we have were powerful families that were originally local rulers, kings and, and and commanders and generals that eventually sided with the Abbasids, one being the Taharids. So the first thing we'd see was a show of power by these groups. This was their way of showing they were in the center of political life. They weren't just servants of the Khalif or his aides, but powerful in themselves. Exactly. As you walked up to the palace, you would then be greeted by the Hujaria who patrolled the grounds and they had their building nearby. Then you'd actually see the Anba and they always wore black, which was the Khalifal colors, and they represent the old guard. Then you would enter the palace itself and you would come across the chamberlain who is known as the keeper of the doors. I love all these titles. He would manage the number of visitors who could see the Khalif. Did the Khalif sit on a throne and wear a crown like how I imagine kings and queens? <laughs> Not exactly. But the Khalif What's funny? did have... <laughs> it's a valid question. <laughs> because I could envision the Khalif sitting on a throne. But it, you know, it, it isn't exactly like that. He had a cushion that he would be on. But more likely, he had a formal seal, a special ring with an insignia. He had some type of staff of office they would care. And he wore a mantle of power that they claimed actually came from Prophet Muhammad. What is a mantle of power? It's like a cape, if you will, that you wear over your shoulders, but it goes down the front as well. You made it sound so cool then. I was like, wow, and then it's a cape. (laughs) (laughs) They have fancy names for everything. I love that. It sounds very grand. And I can see the Khalif sitting in the palace decked in his royal garb. Confession, Ali, when I was younger, I was convinced that I was a princess and that my family had kidnapped me and my real family were out there looking for me and that one day they'd find me and I'd be decked out in gold from head to toe, still waiting. If you didn't imagine some type of escape or fancy life, did you really have a childhood? Exactly. All right. Imagine the space that is underneath the green dome of the palace. You've got elaborate silks, wooden panels carved with geometric designs that cleverly let in air and light, elaborate embroidery and fine clothing. And within all that finery, 
There is the Khalif, recognizable with his staff and mantle. You knew who he was by sight. Who would be with the Khalif? The palace has a lot of buzz to it, people coming and going. But there was an inner court, people who advised the Khalif or ran his empire for him, the government, if you like. Yeah, there were scholars and philosophers and viziers. Remember, the Abbasids were warrior nerds. They loved to surround themselves with philosophers and host debates even. Kind of like the debate with Timothy. Exactly. The court played chess. They debated philosophy. They listened to recited poetry. They even smoked... I know what you're going to say. Shisha. Yeah, I knew that was coming. (laughs) And of course, they argued policy and strategy all while hearing petitions. It sounds very lively, Ali. Lively, but also dangerous. Powerful families often vied for power in the court. One of them that started really early on with the Abbasids was the Barmakids. Let me ask you, have you ever seen Aladdin? Do you remember the vizier Jafar? Uh, It's only one of my favorite Disney movies. Of course I remember Jafar with his black snake staff and Iago, his parrot. Well, Jafar is based on an actual historical character. No. Known as Jafar of the Barmakids. He was an advisor to the various caliphs and he was a patron of the arts. He supported different poets. And at one time, Harun al-Rashid, wanting to keep him close, marries him off to his sister just so that they have some type of political alliance. But it was not meant to be a love marriage. There was just meant to be a marriage of convenience so that the families were tied together. But Harun al-Rashid has no control over the matters of the heart and Jafar falls in love. And eventually the Khalif's sister ends up pregnant. And when Harun al-Rashid discovers it, he has Jafar executed. And this brings the Barmakids to an end. One great family destroyed by marriage. I'm sorry, we're going to have to back up here. So he was expecting them to be married, but not actually ever procreate. Yes, he was very clear about that. It was a political marriage. No, no, no. You can get married, but don't you dare touch my sister. Oh my God. So that's the inspiration for Jafar. It is. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of the messy politics of the Abbasids. There is so much depth to this palace, the location, the architecture and the symbolism. The way it was more than just a private residence, the tricky navigating of power at the heart of it, the families like the Barmakids who were in the heart of power all inside a palace at the centre of a round city. In future episodes, we are going to dive even further into those politics. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Baghdad Soundwalks. See you next time, fellow travelers. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.